No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where the Lord shows Ezekiel a river that will come from the future temple and flow eastward. Its waters will heal the Dead Sea. We hope you join us as Pastor Daryl concludes the book of Ezekiel on Simply the Bible. We come now today to the end of Ezekiel, the last two chapters. And once again, we come to this perennial problem. Do we interpret this literally or do we interpret it spiritually or figuratively? Or is it somewhere in between? That's what we're going to look at today. And it's not necessarily an easy question to answer. We continue as the Lord is giving Ezekiel a vision of the millennial kingdom of Israel. Ezekiel 47, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out of the right side. So we see here a river of water that starts out sort of like a a creek. And it's coming from the temple and then flowing eastward. Now, is this a literal river or is it just spiritual? There are some who say, oh, it's just spiritual. It's speaking of the fact that God brings life wherever he goes. And the life flows from God as the source. Well, that's certainly true. But as we will see, there seems to be distinct qualities of this river that are described here that would make it seem, to me anyway, more than just being spiritual. We see that there are other places in Scripture where it does describe a river coming from the house of the Lord. In Joel 3.18, it says, And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, And all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of the Acacias. And in Zechariah 14, 8, it says, And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. In verses 3 through 6, the angel leads Ezekiel eastward along the river bank. After 1,000 cubits, or 1,750 feet, the water is ankle deep. In another 1,000 cubits, the river is knee deep. And after 1,000 more cubits, the water reaches Ezekiel's waist. Finally, after an additional 1,000 cubits, The river was too deep for Ezekiel's feet to touch the bottom, and he had to swim. Now, where does all this water come from? We don't know. Are there additional tributaries? None that are mentioned here. And the whole point of this seems to be that the water is flowing from the house of God. Well, how can there be so much water then? The only solution is that this is miraculous. There is a miraculous water source happening Uh, in order to cause this. Now, when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, 
this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. So these waters will have miraculous healing properties. And some people, as I said, see this merely as being symbolic, that God brings healing wherever he goes, but that it doesn't actually mean a literal river. And I do agree that there is great symbolism in this, for clearly God's presence does bring healing. But I see no reason why this cannot be taken literally. Those who object to a literal interpretation do so on the grounds that it is impossible. But isn't that the point? God will be miraculously restoring life to those things that were dead under the curse. Verse 9, there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Enaglium. They will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, but its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Now, because of the healing properties of the waters, there will be a multitude of fish. Of course, there are no fish living in the Dead Sea today because the salt content is six times that of the ocean. But there will be so many fish there in the Dead Sea that the fishermen will spread out their nets there, but the swamps and marshes will not be healed. Now, this is further evidence that this should be interpreted literally as well as spiritually, because why would Ezekiel show us that fishermen are spreading their nets and swamps are still salty if this healing water is merely figurative? There would be good reason for the swamps not to be healed, actually, as the Dead Sea provides many minerals and mud that have health benefits and are exported throughout the whole world. There will still likely be a cosmetics industry in the kingdom age, although I don't expect it to be owned by Revlon. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Now imagine trees that bear fruit year-round. These waters are going to be so full of life that these trees are going to be abundant and their leaves will never wither and will be used for medications. Now there's great symbolism in all this, surely, and I believe that we are justified in spiritualizing to some degree because when we receive the living water of the Holy Spirit, then it certainly brings forth good fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. And we do not wither, but we bring healing to the lives of others through the love and grace and truth of Jesus flowing through our lives to them. Now in verse 13 through 20, Ezekiel is given the borders of Israel during the millennium. These are roughly the same boundaries that were given to Moses in Numbers 34, 1 through 15. The northern boundary is north of Tyre and Sidon. 
On a modern map, it would include all of Lebanon and a good portion of Syria, including Damascus. From the Sea of Galilee, moving southward along the Jordan River, that would be the eastern boundary. So the area east of the Jordan that was once inhabited by two and a half tribes of Israel will not be included, and that is modern Jordan. The southern boundary is the Wadi of Egypt, and the western boundary is the Mediterranean Sea. And so this will be the area that Israel encompasses during the millennial reign of Christ. Verse 21, Thus you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. It shall be that you will divide it by lot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the strangers who dwell among you and who bear children among you. They shall be to you as native-born among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And it shall be that in whatever tribe the stranger dwells, there you shall give him his inheritance, says the Lord God. So the land will be fairly divided among the twelve tribes of Israel, but foreigners will also live among them. And they will be given an inheritance by the tribes in which they are living. This reveals the inclusion of Gentiles in the Millennial Kingdom. In chapter 48, we see that the land will be divided into three major sections. Verses 1 through 8 describe the top section that will be north of Jerusalem and divided among the seven tribes. From north to south, they are Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, Reuben, and Judah. Verses 9 through 12 covers the holy district where the temple will be. Now, this area was already described in chapter 45. It is 8.3 miles by 3.3 miles. This also includes land belonging to the priests. The temple is in the center of this section. Verses 13 and 14 describe the section to the north of this holy district. That is also 8.3 miles by 3.3 miles. And that is given to the Levites for their residence and farmland. In verses 15 through 20, we see the section below the holy district that is allotted for the city of Jerusalem. It is 8.3 miles by 1.75 miles. The city will be in the center of this section and will be a square with four walls, each 1.5 miles long. There will be a land buffer around the walls of about 438 feet. And on the east side of the city will be 3.3 miles of farmland and the same on the west side of the city, all along the border of the Holy District. Those who come from various tribes to work in the city of Jerusalem will be able to farm in this land. Verses 21 and 22 describe the property of the prince, who we believe is likely David, his land stretches for 8.3 miles on the east side of the square that's formed by the sacred area and the city, and 8.3 miles on the west side, reaching the eastern and western borders of Israel, respectively. North of his land is Judah, and south is Benjamin. Verses 23 through 29 covers the third major section of the land, which is south of the holy district and the land that belongs to the prince. This section will be fairly divided among the remaining five tribes of Israel. From north to south, they are Benjamin, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun, and Gad in the furthest south region. 
Finally, verses 30 through 35 describe the walls and gates of the city of Jerusalem. Now, each wall is one and a half miles long and has three gates, each one named after a tribe of Israel. The three gates on the north are named for Reuben, Judah, and Levi. The three gates on the east are named for Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan. On the south wall, the gates are named after Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun. And on the west wall, they are named for Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. And the distance around the entire city is six miles. From that day, the name of the city will be the Lord is there, Yahweh Shammah. And that, I think, is probably the most interesting part about this whole thing, is that the Lord will be there. What's going to make the millennial kingdom so wonderful is that the Lord will be there. Yahweh Shammah, he will be among his people forever. But you know what? You don't have to wait until then, because in Christ, the Lord is with us. Jesus said, I don't leave you here as orphans, but I will be with you even till the end of the age. And his name is called Emmanuel. And we have a temple now, a temple of the Holy Spirit in which the Lord dwells. So let me ask you, is he your Yahweh Shama today? Do you know that the Lord is there? If you get nothing else out of this study of the book of Ezekiel, my prayer is that you would open your heart and invite the Lord to be your Yahweh Shama, never to leave you, never to forsake you. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. That's calvarytv.org. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. To listen to previous episodes, check out our Simply the Bible podcast and please leave us a review. That helps a lot. Tomorrow we will return to the book of Job for the final chapter where Job repents of speaking foolish words and the Lord restores Job's losses. We hope you'll join us as we continue teaching through God's Word on Simply the Bible.